Our students can be dismissed at this time, or Brother Mark can meet you right out in the hallway there. I don't know about you, but I, I need a little more of Jesus today, that's for sure. I need a little more today. Sermons. Sermons rooted in Scripture, directed by the Holy Spirit. sermons over the years, and many of you sitting here today have heard hundreds, some of you thousands of sermons. Sermons are a staple of Christian churches. It's important, though, that sermons aren't just my opinions or just what you want to hear. Sermons don't need to be filled with my opinions. They don't need to be filled with things that you just want somebody to say to you. Sermons need to be rooted in God's Word. God doesn't have a word for us, He has not revealed Himself through His word, then we might as well go home. We could have some other kind of celebration, some kind of other gathering, uh, but we're here not just to gather and not just to celebrate, we're here to hear from the Lord God. Now I love what little Susie told her father. Uh, little Susie's dad was a preacher, she grew up in a pastor's home, and one day little Susie was observing her father uh, write out notes for his sermon, and uh, she saw this. She was in the in the office there and saw her dad writing out his sermon notes, and she uh, asked her dad, she walked over, and she said, Dad, how do you know what to say? How do you know what to say when you get up to preach? And uh, Susie's dad said, why, God tells me. God tells me what to say. And uh, little Susie thought that was pretty cool, and uh, she began to stare at his notes, and then she began to get a quizzical look on her face, and she said, Dad, tell me again how you know what to say. And little Susie's dad said, well, because God tells me what to say. And then Susie exasperated, threw her hands up into the air and said, then why do you keep crossing stuff out? Sometimes there are things that God has to say to us that we would like to just cross out, that we would just like to not be confronted with, to not listen to, to not hear. And we all have those places in the Word of God. I'm convinced that everybody has those places where God's Word says things and they think, I'd just like to cross that out. Now, clearly, Susie's dad was right. It is God. If you're in God's Word, you're listening to His Spirit, it is God's Word that is giving uh, the message that you need, it does come from God. Uh, but it is also true that there is a preacher that is a human being, and so there's a human element to it as well. And that is why, whether it's a pastor preaching behind a pulpit, or you delivering the Word of God to somebody, whether it's the sermon of your life or a sermon uh, from a, behind a pulpit, whatever the case may be, because there's a human element, we need to make sure that we don't just stray off on uh, rabbit trails and get down those kind of things what we need to do is stick to what God has proclaimed and what God has proclaimed is that anyone can be saved that will accept Jesus Christ as their Savior and so Emily just saying Jesus 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 there's something about that name and if we do not have Jesus we don't have a message to preach we don't have a hope to give Without Jesus, our morality is cold. Without Jesus, we may give a law that does nothing more than keep people 
in bondage. We can slip into a legalism without Jesus where we give people a law that they can never keep. Without Jesus, we might just give people fluffy words. On the other hand, if some people without Jesus would just give a law that would keep people in bondage, a morality they can never live up to. On the other hand, there are those that without Jesus, just uh, they would never give the law. They would never want to offend anybody and they would just give nice, kind words and uh, never give any of the confrontation that comes with this man Jesus who hung on a cross. So we must, whether it's me preaching here or whether you proclaiming the word to those that you know, we must keep the focus on Jesus. Jesus keeps us centered where the heart of God is, and that is with his son and what he has done. Now this morning we've been preaching through the book of Acts, and this morning we're going to continue with that. And this morning, this is really neat, all right? This is just something that's really, really neat. We are in the middle of the first Christian sermon. What I mean by that is we're looking this morning, continuing to look at the first sermon that was preached after Jesus had ascended, after he, he's now in the process of establishing his church, the Christian church, and this is, in some sense, the first Christian sermon. And just by that, I just mean, when I say it's the first Christian sermon, I mean this is the first sermon that we know of preached by a Christian after Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father. So, for no other reason than that, this would just, just be a really interesting day today to see what was the first sermon that was ever preached. And I want us to look at this today, not just for a history lesson, but I want us to see the heartbeat of the first sermon ever preached that can remind us what the heartbeat of our sermons need to be. So go to Acts chapter 2 and go to verse 22. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Now, we've already seen a couple weeks ago we saw that uh, Peter gets up to preach this sermon after this Holy Spirit has fallen upon those believers there in Jerusalem. And uh, there's the festival of Pentecost going on there for the Jews, and they are Jews from all over uh, the Roman Empire there, all over the world. And, and Peter gets up and deliver, starts to deliver a message. And in his introduction, uh, Peter stresses Jesus. And he says, he says in his introduction there, that anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you believe that today, that anybody who trusts Jesus can be saved, say amen. Anybody, that means you, no matter where you've been, no matter where you come from, no matter what race, creed, religion, where, whatever, doesn't matter. If today you will turn from your sin and your pride and you will look to Jesus, you can be saved. And so we saw that a couple weeks ago in the introduction to the first Christian sermon. We see the Apostle Peter stressing Jesus. Well, let's today get into the meat of the first sermon. Let's get into the meat, the body of the sermon, and let's listen to what Peter has to say. He said, anybody who calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. And now he's going to explain how that salvation can occur. So anybody who calls the name of the Lord can be saved. Well, what does that mean? Like, why should they call upon the name of the Lord? Who is this Lord that they should call on? Well, look what he says, verse 22. He looks out at his crowd. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. A man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as you yourselves also know. As you know. So he says, hey, the Lord God came and uh, came through his son Jesus Christ and he did signs and miracles and wonders. And he says, hey, some of you here in this crowd here in Jerusalem, you know about this. You saw it. 
him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God. It was within the plan of God for him to take him. Ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. But what happened to Jesus after they slayed him? Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. The pains of death could not hold Jesus because the Lord God raised him up. For David speaketh, so now he's going to quote David. He's going to show, he said there, right, that this was the determined counsel of God. And now he's going to go back and show from the scripture where this was pointed to. For David speaking him, what did David say? He said, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou, because you will not leave my soul in hell. David foresaw the resurrecting power of God. He foresaw this. Neither will thou suffer, neither will you suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For you has made known to me the ways of life. And thou shalt make me full of joy with your countenance. He says, I will not stay dead. The Lord will raise up those from the dead, and he will restore the joy of life, new life, unto them. If you're glad that the Lord God gives us life, say amen. Men and brethren. He looks back at his crowd. Preacher, preacher Peter looks back at the crowd. Says, men and brethren. Let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher, his tomb, is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spoke of the resurrection of Christ. That his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus has God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God, where is Jesus now? He is at the right hand of God exalted, having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost. So he says, Jesus is now at the right hand of God, and we have received his Spirit just as he said we would. He has shed forth this which you now see and hear. For David is not ascended unto the heavens, but he has said himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou, or you sit on my right hand, until I make your foes your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel, he's already said, men and uh, men of Israel, listen to me. And then he makes it a little more personal. He says, men and brethren, because he's one of them. Peter's one of the Jews. He says, listen to me. Now he says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly, know without a shadow of a doubt, that God has made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. If Jesus is your Lord today, say amen. There is no hope outside of Jesus. Our songs today that were sung, Got our folks that, that have been doing this, you know, a long time. Got Connie and Cecil up here, and they, they've been doing this for many years. And then we've got newer people that are joining in and helping to lead us in worship. Here's the thing whether you're young or whether you're old, there's only one way to be saved, and that is Jesus.
And so our songs today focus upon Jesus and who he is. Verse 22, the meat of the first Christian sermon. How does it start out there in verse 22? Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as you yourselves know. Jesus of Nazareth. This is where preaching starts and where it ends. Uh, It's kind of cool to be the first to do something, right? To be the first one that's ever uh, done something. I don't don't think there's anything in my life I've ever uh, maybe been the first one to do. You know, as far as I know, I've never never invented something for the first time. I've never had some athletic accomplishment was the first thing ever ever done. It's, I love raising my boys, but I'm not the first father that's ever raised children. I, I, I don't know that I've ever been the first one to accomplish something. But that would, be, that would be pretty awesome to be the first person to do something. And here is Peter preaching the first sermon after Jesus has ascended, the first official Christian sermon. And where does Peter begin the first sermon ever preached? He begins it with Jesus of Nazareth. Now, Peter doesn't just stop there, right? He doesn't just use his sermon to mention Jesus and then move on from Jesus. Now, Peter does touch other things in his sermon, but the other things that Peter is going to address always lead back to the one who is the center, the focal point, Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I want to look at, just help us think together, uh, what are three areas where Peter hones in on Jesus in this little short sermon that we have looked at today. Now, reread verse 22, all right? Look at it again. What's it, what's it say? Look at verse 22 with me if you have your Bible. He says, You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved by God among you. How is he approved? How is it known that he is proved, approved by God? Miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him or God did through him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. So during his life, uh, Jesus' ministry was evidenced or it was guaranteed by miracles, wonders, and signs. Now that's interesting, right? So the first thing Peter does is he focuses in his sermon on Jesus' life. He's going to focus on Jesus and others. The first thing he does is he focuses on Jesus' life. And he says, guys, you know his life and you know the guarantee of his ministry. Uh, you know the miracles and the signs and the wonders. Now that's interesting that he says that's the guarantee That we know Jesus was, that they knew who Jesus was the Son of God. It's interesting he gives those things as the guarantee. Because listen to this, just listen. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12.12 will also state that those are are, are part of the way that you know an apostle is truly an apostle. What does 2 Corinthians 12.12 say? Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought or worked among you. He tells the Corinthians, you've seen the work of an apostle. In fact, he says it was done in all patience. How was it done? How was the work of the apostle done? In signs and wonders and mighty deeds. And so the divine ministry of Jesus, the divine approval of Jesus is also evidenced later on through these disciples who are continuing, these apostles who are continuing what Jesus started. So there is divine approval. Peter wants to focus on Jesus. He wants to tell about the work of Jesus. And he wants them to know there's divine approval upon what Jesus has done. Jesus' life had the blessing of God the Father. Now the truth is, there are times that I sin. 
And there are times that I do things that do not meet the approval of God. You cannot stand here and preach a sermon about Charles Cook that would say you can just look at his life and know that everything about it uh, was guaranteed by the divine hand of God, that it was all of God. Well, the truth is there are some things in my life that have been of the flesh and have been of the sin. And so that's why we don't preach sermons about Charles Cook. We don't preach sermons about Larry Boswell. And we don't uh, preach sermons about Austin. We don't preach sermons about Brother Cecil. We preach sermons about Jesus because he had the divine approval of God. Amen? So the first sermon, pretty neat, first, first sermon, begins with Jesus and he focuses on the works of Jesus. So preaching guided by the Holy Spirit. This is one way you'll know if it's of God or not. Is what this person saying to me? Is it focusing on what Jesus has done? Or is it focusing on what I've done or somebody else has done? So Peter stresses his first sermon. He stresses Jesus' work. Secondly, after stressing the work of Jesus, or we might call it the life of Jesus, he then moves to stress the death of Jesus. Look at verse 23. All right, look at it. Look at, look at verse 23. He, he said, hey, he lived among you. You saw his works. You knew his life. Then he moves to his death. Verse 23, him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Now that's one little verse. But that one little verse encapsulates two big truths about the death of Jesus. Now sometimes people play these truths off against one another. We should not do that. These two truths that I'm about to show you in that verse that the Apostle Peter links together in the, in the first Christian sermon, we need to keep together as well. What does Peter just show us about the death of of Jesus. Number one, first thing he shows about Jesus' death. Number one, Jesus' death was no accident. This is not an accident that Jesus has wound up on the cross. He says this was the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God. Jesus' death was part of God's plan that God had pre-prepared for dealing with sin so that sinners could be redeemed and experience salvation. Jesus was obedient to the plan of God that was already in place so that you might be saved. Galatians 1.4 states that Jesus did what? Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. So Jesus gave himself so we could be saved the present evil age. Now catch this. It goes on to say, according to the will of our God and Father. Can I tell you the most wonderful thing about your life? You say, you don't know me well enough to say that. How do you know the most wonderful thing about my life? The Word of God has shown us the most wonderful thing about the life of every person that is here. The most wonderful thing about your life is that God knows your deep, deep sin. And instead of looking at you, and saying, I'm going to leave you in that deep, deep sin. The most wonderful thing about your life is that God has looked at you and is known from history past. And he has said, you know what my plan is for you? My plan is for you to send Jesus so you can be saved from your sin. That is. That is the most wonderful truth. And so aren't you glad today? You're glad today that, that God... That God has ordained for all who believe to be saved through Jesus. Say amen. All. So when it comes to Jesus' death, so that's, that's the first thing, right? The first thing he shows us in that one little verse. Word of God's 
packed with power. He shows us in that one little verse that Jesus' death was no accident. There was a divine element. There's a divine element. There's a divine thing going on that has existed before you and I were born, before Jesus actually showed up. There was a divine plan for what would occur. But that's not all there is. There definitely was a divine plan ordained by God that this would occur. But there's also human responsibility. Yes, God said this is my plan. But he has also given men freedom to make choices. And so there is also human responsibility. So it is both true that God ordained this. It is also true that human beings, sinful, wicked human beings, made the choice to put Jesus on the cross. Look at verse 23 again, how he he connects divine authority with human responsibility. Look at verse 23. Him, Jesus, being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God. There's the divine part God knows this you have taken here's the man part you're responsible you did this of your own you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain the Jews took Jesus some of them were in that very crowd he's preaching to the first sermon they had taken him they had ensured that Jesus was killed by putting him in the wicked hands of the Romans who finished the job that they had started. So it's not just the Jews, the whole world is on this because both Jews and representatives of the Roman Empire played their part. So there is a divine side of Jesus' death, but there is also the human responsibility and the culpability by those who chose to take him and those who chose to allow him to die and those who cho- uh, chose to drive the nails. Those that took the spear and Launched it into his side. Yes, this is predetermined by God. This is the plan. But there is also human responsibility. So was God the Father in control the worst day of the human race? Was God in control that day when Jesus died? Yes, God was in control. You know what that means? I had to cling to this a little bit this week. You might have to cling to it this week. If God was in control, the worst day of human history, when Jesus was put on a cross, if God was in control that day, God is in control the worst day of your life as well. He hasn't left the throne. He hasn't left. He hasn't abdicated. He hasn't decided to just leave you where you are. That is not what he has done. He was there on the worst day of human history. And in your darkest moment, in your darkest hour, He is right there with you as well. So there is, we see this divine responsibility, this, this, this divine work going on, but we also see this human responsibility. And so when we preach sermons, whether it's behind a pulpit in a, in a church meeting, or whether you're sharing the gospel with somebody, we must stress both those things. We must stress that God is in control and He is sovereign. But we must also not shy away from, like Peter, confronting people with their culpability and their choice to engage in sin. So the first Christian sermon, the first sermon here at Pentecost, the apostle keeps the focus on Jesus' work, and he keeps the focus on Jesus' death. And then finally and thirdly, he keeps the focus on Jesus' resurrection. So look with me at verses 24 through 32, he stresses, the, he stresses the works, the life. 
And he stresses the death. But then he really gets into stressing the resurrection. Because in the resurrection, this is where the power is. This is where the devil has been defeated. This is where sin has been crushed. So look at what he says, verse 24. This Jesus whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death. He was bound. And then somebody untied it. Somebody let him loose. Who let him loose from death? God did. Because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. For David, speaking, concerned him, said, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. He is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope because you, thou, you will not leave my soul in hell. If that's good news, that the, that the Lord God will not leave you bound to death, say amen. I'm not going to leave you there. Neither will you suffer, neither will thou suffer your holy one to speak corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. You shall make me full of joy with your countenance. So men and brethren, let me freely speak to you of David, he says. And he goes on and talks about David. And then he gets down uh, to verse 32 and he says, This Jesus has God raised up and we are all witnesses. Verse 33, where is he now? The right hand of God. What is he doing? He is exalted. And he's received the Father, the promise. And what's he done? What's he done now that he is there? He has sent the Holy Ghost. Hey, if you're glad that on the worst day of your life, not only is God still on the throne, but God's presence is with you in the worst day of your life because he's right there with you with his Holy Spirit. If you're glad for the presence of Jesus in your life through the Holy Spirit, say amen. He's on the throne, but because he's God, he's the triune God. He's the three-person God. He's not just on the throne. But the very presence of Jesus is with you right there. So he goes on and he says, hey man, he's risen and he's sent his spirit. It's not David that ascended unto the heavens. He, David said what the Lord has said unto my Lord. Sit thou, you sit on my right hand until I make your foes your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made the same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. So Peter's sermon, the first Christian sermon, starts with Jesus and it continues with Jesus and it lays out the works of his life and it lays out his death and it lays out his resurrection. These verses make clear that Jesus was raised by God. In the psalmist, the psalmist refers to God there as loosing the pains of death. So Jesus was raised by God. And just as Jesus ordained, for, just as God ordained for Jesus to die for sin, Peter quotes from King David here to make clear that he also ordained the resurrection. So this whole thing is not just happenstance. There's been a divine plan to all of this. Divine act of God. Just as with his death, there's also with his raising a divine element. Cookville Church, don't allow others to take your eyes off the prize. Don't let others lead your hearts and my heart and the hearts of your family astray from what really matters. This world is consumed by other things that the Bible makes clear are wood, hay, and stubble, and they will burn up and they will fade and they will go away. And the devil so knows how to tempt our pride and to tempt us 
to get our eyes on those things that will not last. But this first Christian sermon shows us that the heartbeat of our life, the miracle of our life is Jesus. The miracle of our life is the new life that has been given to sinners through Jesus Christ. This must be our focus. Let others chase after foolish things. Let Cookville Church be known for chasing after Jesus. Let others follow after sin. Let others change what the Bible says. Let us follow Jesus. But not just our church. Not just when we're corporately gathered together. It's not just our corporate gathering. You as an individual must determine and decide, will you follow Jesus? Dads, are you going to lead your family in following Jesus? Moms, are you going to step up and point your family to Jesus? Grandparents, are you going to use what you got left to help others live for Jesus? Single person, are you going to give your single life? And maybe, you know what, God might call you to be single all your days. He might do that. He might allow you to be married, but it doesn't matter whether you're single or married. Whether you're married or single, let it be about Jesus. Maybe there's one here today that God who's on his throne, but he's also here through his Holy Spirit. Maybe his spirit is speaking to you, and there's a part of you that knows that, you know what? Right now in my life, it's not all about Jesus. Right now in my life, there are other things that consume me, guide me, direct me. There are a place for other things. But those things must be lived out under the authority of Jesus, who is our Lord and Master. Maybe today there's one here who's never confessed Jesus. You've never trusted Jesus. So you've never been able to praise Him for your own personal salvation. Salvation is not private. Salvation is not private. It is personal, but it's not private. Did you know that? There's a big difference between things that are private and things that are personal. Salvation is personal. It is something that you must do. It is something that you must determine. It's a personal decision. And if you don't make a personal decision to follow Jesus, nobody else can save you or do that for you. You must do it. It's personal. But my friends, it is not private. What is baptism about? Baptism, clearly, is the sign to witnesses that are watching that this is one who has decided to follow and trust in Jesus. Does baptism save you? No. But is baptism a sign to a watching world that you were once a sinner, but you have died to sin, and now you are raised through Jesus Christ? Yes, baptism is a way of ensuring that your personal salvation is also a public confession that you have been changed by Jesus Christ. And so, my friend, today you say, I want to believe. I think I need to believe. That's a personal decision that you must make. But my friends, today is the day for you to step out, for you to come forward and no longer keep this a private decision because it must be personal, but it also must lead to a praise of what God has done in your life. You say, I can't do that. I'm too shy. I'm too nervous. I'm too... Let me tell you something. You don't have to come give a big speech. You don't have to get all your words right. You don't have to understand all the theology. I sure don't. You just got to know one thing. 
that you were lost and you were blind, but now you see. It is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So church today, let's give God glory by keeping the focus on Jesus. Now does that hit other areas of life? Absolutely. Don't misunderstand. When Jesus is your Lord, it's going to affect all kinds of areas in your life. Next week, Lord willing, we'll show you a little video of a persecuted Christian, a man that, that gave his life, uh, part of his life to be spent in prison and to be in chains. And this is a, a recent thing. Why? Because, yeah, Jesus, it's about Jesus. Don't misunderstand, though. When you trust Jesus, it affects everything. It affects the way you think. It affects the way you raise your family. It affects how you spend your money. It affects how you spend your time. But before you can do all that, you've got to take the first step. And the first step is seeing that there's only one way to be right with God. Not just for the men of Israel, not just for the brethren of Peter, but for you and I. It's about the life, the work, it's about the death, and praise the Lord, it is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, the, the Spirit of God in this place has been with us this morning. So evident through the singing, through the preaching, through your attention, through your response, your engagement with the message. God's Spirit is here with us. And I don't know what Brother Cecil had, had led, but I feel led to do this. Emily, I want you to come back, and I want you to lead us in that little chorus. All right, Cecil, if you want to sing with you, you can come, whatever. But I want you to lead us in that little chorus, and I think many of us know it. Maybe Brother Cecil can come tell us the number, and we're going to sing about Jesus. But let me tell you something. If today you recognize Jesus is not your all in all, today if you recognize that there's sin in your life that you need to lay down at Jesus' feet, today if you recognize, man, I need to pray for my family, I need to pray for people at school. If you say today, I need to pray for the Lord to just help me be the disciple I need to be. Medical problems, whatever it is, as we sing, as we lift up our voice to praise Jesus, we do that if you need to come and personally kneel and spend some time with the Lord today. This is your time as we sing. This is your time to respond. There's a divine plan. The Lord wants to save you. But there's always the human responsibility of what will you do what would the men of Israel do we're going to see next week what will you do today with Jesus stand with me this morning dear Lord I ask that your spirit would continue to minister Lord if there's one who's not saved Lord may they come today Lord if there are those that are wrestling and struggling may they find in Jesus what they need Lord you just move your Holy Spirit speak to us change us Lord, I know there's some broken-hearted people today. Lord, may they come and find life in your Son. Lord, may this place be about Jesus. Lord, we ask this in His name. Amen. Brother Cecil, 